Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So in a few weeks, here is our summer schedule. I need you to hear this. On Sundays, we will have one gathering at 10 a.m. on Sundays. One gathering, 10 a.m., starting Memorial Day weekend, going all the way through Labor Day. Okay, one gathering, 10 a.m., full, child, full child, children's ministry, everything. On Wednesday nights during the summer, we're going to do a second gathering here at the Gloys on the second floor in our gallery room. Still have child care available for the younger kids. Here's why we're doing it. A lot of you travel throughout the summer, go on vacations, go, go places. We want you to do that. But we also want you to stay connected to our church. And so a midweek will give us that opportunity. If you're gone on the weekend, come to the midweek. It'll be the same sermon as you'll hear on Sunday. If, so same gathering. So it'll be Wednesday nights, up in the gallery room, starting Memorial Day weekend, one gathering, 10 a.m. Sound good? Cool. The other cool thing is it's going to allow... Hopefully us to engage more people that maybe work on a Sunday or something. So invite folks. It'll be cool. That's summer schedule. 10 a.m. midweek at 7. Darius, you ready to read? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> I'm Darius. I'll be reading Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 21. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to, to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Thanks, Darius. All right. (laughs) These football players heckle one another. They're hoping they will mess up just so they can heckle one another. It's so fun to see. So if you've been in Springfield for a number of years, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago in Springfield, which already limits a bunch of you, there was a very peculiar man. And I wonder if any of you remember this man. And where I would see him, I saw him maybe eight, nine, ten times, and he showed up on Glenstone and James River Expressway near that Independence Walmart. And he was a man that had... He wore a long white robe. He had a beard that came all the way down like maybe mid-thigh. And he had a shepherd's staff. And he would walk down the side of the road. Does anyone here remember this guy? One. We had one during the last gathering too. It was the talk, at least for me in my career, the talk of like who is this guy. Because he was there for a period of maybe six, eight months. And then just disappeared. And there was like this joke. Is this like... Moses or Jesus or, or who is this dude? Uh, it's so, he's so peculiar. One of my friends who is, is a singer-songwriter now in Nashville wrote a song about him. And the song starts off, it says, there's a man on the side of the road, a shepherd's staff in a white robe. He's walking really slow with a beard down to his toes. And he, go on, he, he writes this whole song about this man being so peculiar. No idea who he was. I have not seen him since. 
Maybe it was a prophet of old come to Springfield. I, I don't know who it was. And I tell you that story to, to say that, that that talk of who is this guy? What, what is he about? He, he's so different. That had to be how someone in first century Israel encountered Jesus. This guy that shows up seemingly out of nowhere, out of a little unknown place called Nazareth, a dot on the map. And he shows up and he starts saying things and starts proclaiming things that just blow you away if, if you're living in that day. And we see this in Luke chapter 17, that the, the peculiarity that is Jesus. And one of the teachers of Israel, the Pharisees, one of the leaders, comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. This is Luke 17, verse 20. When, he has asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, ways that are seen. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, again, we read these words, and it's like, okay, Luke, cool, great story. But if we allow ourselves to live through the narrative of this first central Israel, for Jesus to come on the scene, first of all, what is this Pharisee asking? When is the kingdom of God? Like, what, what is that question? Why does Jesus answer the way he does, that the kingdom is not seen and ways can be observed? You won't say, look, here it is, and he says the kingdom is in the midst of you. So why did the Pharisee ask the question? Why did Jesus answer? And what in the heck does that mean for us today? That's what I want to try to do today. This question of the kingdom of God is the discussion of the Jews in first century, first century Israel. And this kingdom of God begins at the very beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And you've seen part of this drawing before. I use this a lot. God says, let there be light. And God announces his creative force on the world. And God begins to create. And every time he creates something, he said, it is what? Good. God's kingdom, flourishing, light, goodness. Shalom is the Hebrew word for it. Peace, prosperity, flourishing. God creates his kingdom. He establishes it as good. He declares, let there be light. He creates all the plants, animals, and then he creates humans. And he says to them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, here we go. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have, what's the word? Dominion, hold on to that, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God creates his kingdom. He brings humanity into this, this new creation called humans. And humanity is different than every other creation. In some really mysterious way, they are image bearers of God. They reflect God's glory, his goodness. And he tells humans, as his image bearers, you now have dominion over my kingdom. You are my image bearers in this kingdom. This kingdom that I ultimately am the ruler, the king of, you now have authority. You are 
have dominion. You are image bearers, reflectors of me. He pronounces them to have a kingdom that they are now to take charge and care of in God's, as, as, as God's hand on earth. So he tells Adam and Eve, like, build, plant gardens, go fruitful, multiply, have children, build cities, bring a flourishing as my representative to this world, my kingdom, my goodness. So it'd be like this. If any of you are a store manager, maybe for a, a restaurant, a, a department store, you don't own it, right? That would be the owner. But if you're a manager, here's what the owner has said. I am entrusting to you my kingdom, which is this business. And you are now going to operate in my absence as, as my representative in this business. Now, you don't own it, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of you business owners are like, no, you don't. No, you don't own it, you, but you operate on behalf of the owner. Which means you can't just totally do whatever you want to do. There's some limits, but there's also freedom of creativity if you have a good owner. This is a reality for humans. They are created in God's image, in God's kingdom, to be representatives and bring flourishing as God has designed. Which sounds great, doesn't it? The problem is two chapters is how long does it last in Genesis. And evil through the form of a serpent, comes to humans. And there's an invitation from evil. And here's the invitation. God's kingdom? Yeah, right. You can have your own kingdom. Why would you submit to the rule and reign of God's kingdom? As a matter of fact, you can be just like God. And evil invites humans to establish their own kingdom. And they do. They rebel against God. And now you have this alternate kingdom. The Bible calls it the kingdom of the world. The age of sin and death. The kingdom of darkness. There's lots of terms for this new kingdom. But this new kingdom is against God's kingdom. It doesn't operate the, God, the way God's kingdom does. Where God's kingdom is peace and life and love and flourishing. This kingdom brings suffering Death, darkness, sickness, cancer, abuse, addictions, pornography. We can keep going. See, this kingdom brings disaster, brokenness into God's kingdom. Humanity rebels. And it goes really bad. Really bad. See, the kingdom of sin and death has come, which is why your body is wasting away. The front half doesn't realize that yet, but the back half does, amen? Yeah, yeah, gravity, gravity. And it brings brokenness. Now, this is the storyline of the Bible, three chapters in. Here's what God could do. You want it? It's yours. Drop the mic, leave the stage. But God doesn't do that, does he? See, God initiates a plan. And this plan is a plan to reclaim God's kingdom as ultimate, authority over all. And this kingdom, this alternate kingdom of the world of darkness, of sin, to kill it for all time. 
God begins a plan. And this plan begins in Genesis with a man named Abram. Now listen to me. Abram has no idea about God's kingdom. Abram is living in the kingdom of the world, doing his thing. And God comes to Abram and says, Abram, I have a plan. And this plan is to bring my kingdom back to earth, to bring wholeness and flourishing and shalom. And this plan will begin with you, Abram. You will have a son. And out of this son will come a nation. And out of this nation will come a rescuer, a savior, a messiah that will come and reestablish my kingdom on the earth. And God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And Abram has a son, and he has a son, and they have sons. And originally, initially then a family of 12 that then get, go, they end up in Egypt. And in Egypt they flourish and they become a nation. The nation of, help me, Israel, the Hebrew people. But after some time, the kingdom of the world comes against them. And they are slaves under an evil empire named Egypt. And the Pharaoh is treating them as one does in the kingdom of darkness. He abuses them. He beats them. He kills them. He makes them slaves. But God sends a rescuer by the name of, all right, come on, Moses, right? Who comes and he leads God's people out of evil and captivity and into this promised land. And it is here that God establishes with his people a covenant to bring his kingdom. And we see it, it's Exodus 15, the first time that God is, is recognized as king in this new kingdom. The Israelites sing this song, it's a prayer at the end, they say the Lord will reign forever and ever. The first time Israel has announced we have a king. And his name is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God initiates a plan with them and he tells them, you are going to be now my representatives on earth to live in a way that shows people the new kingdom, who God is, who I am. I'm calling you out among the nations and you are going to be my special people. I'm going to have a covenant with you and out of you will come the one that will come and deal with sin and darkness and death forever. And we see this in Exodus 19. God tells them, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a, what is it? What is it? A kingdom. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. God calls Israel out and he announces, you are now a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Be my representatives. Show the other nations what this God, who I, Yahweh, how I've designed people to live. And he gives them ten commandments, like don't kill, which is countercultural at that time. Because that time, if you didn't like someone, you just killed them. That's how it worked. Don't steal. Don't take your neighbor's life. He gives them some rules, like here's what, some basic rules on here's what it looks like to live in a way that's countercultural. Well, the Old Testament keeps going. It's following this nation of Israel. If you want to make sense of your Old Testament, just know it's following them. It's their story. It's primarily a story. And it follows them. And they reach the heights of a nation under this king named King David. And he unites them. And they're this great kingdom. And, and they have peace in their land. Finally, they've kicked all their enemies out. And there's peace and flourishing. But as David dies and his son Solomon comes, and then as Solomon dies and the next couple of kings in line, the nation goes from here 
to hear. And they forget the covenant. And they forget that they've been called out to live differently and they start killing and holding slaves and sacrificing babies. See, they take on the characters of the world. They forget their calling as a people to be these image bearers of God. So God sends a nation named Babylon to come. First it's Assyria, then it's Babylon to come and conquer them. And they get drug off to Babylon and now they're captives again. Just like they were in the days of Moses. They're captives. They're being beaten, forced into slavery. They're under the rule of someone else. Jerusalem, their home, has been ransacked. The temple has been destroyed. All hope is lost. And this thought of what about the promise to Abraham that we would be a covenant people, a kingdom, where is that? And God began to send prophets. And so as you walk through your Old Testament, you have all these prophetic books, and these prophets would come as God represented us to speak to the people about what God was going to do, this plan. We see one of these, Isaiah 52. It's a poem. And the image is this person like sitting up on a wall and they see in the distance this messenger and he's running. And this messenger is holding, holding this sign that says good news. That's the image he wants you to see. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. This messenger who publishes peace. Now Israel, you don't know peace. You know slavery. Who brings good news of happiness. All they know is sorrow who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Jerusalem, your God, what's the word? Kingdom. Kingdom. Your God reigns. Not Babylon. No, your God reigns. In the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The Lord once again will come to Zion, to Jerusalem. So he tells them, break forth into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm. That's the way of saying the Lord has flexed his muscles. Before the eyes of all nations, and all nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. See the prophets, and I could read you 20 more. We're telling Israel, your God is coming, your messenger, your Messiah. The kingdom is coming, and God will restore you. And this idea of kingdom is the hope of the Hebrew people. So if we fast forward and you follow your Bible, it ends, Old Testament ends, and there's 400 years of silence, no word from God, no prophet speaking. All they have are these promises that you will be set free. Your Messiah will come. And then behold, there comes a messenger his name is John the Baptist. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And see, if you're an Israelite here, if you're a Pharisee, a scribe, a teacher of the law, a faithful Israelite who's following the covenant of God, like you are waiting on a new king from the line of David. That's the prophecy. By the way, that's why... The Gospels trace the genealogy of Jesus from the line of David. You believe, you've been told, a, line, a new king will come from the line of David. A new David will come. 
And he will deal with sin and death and bring God's law and order. And here's what you believe, that a new king will come from the line of David and he will have a sword and he will ride a big horse. And he will march into Jerusalem with an army. He will kill the Romans, who you hate, because now they're the ones who are occupying you. He will kick them out. He will deal with all those people you hate, like Samaritans and sinners, tax collectors, lepers, because although they're cursed by God, and he will restore Jerusalem to the glory days of King David and go beyond that, and all nations will see the arm flex of God, and Israel now will come, and they will rule the world with peace and prosperity. That's what you believe. The buzz is the kingdom, and when it would come, and that was their hope. And that is why a Pharisee comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you're this prophet from God, this messenger from God, when will the kingdom come? And here's what Jesus says. The kingdom won't come in a way that you think. I'm not coming with a sword and an army. By the way, that's why when Jesus enters Jerusalem right before the cross, what did everyone do? Laid down palm branches and cried, Hosanna. Here comes our king. They thought it was time. It's go time. And then three days later, those same people are saying, kill him. You know why? The kingdom was going to come in a way that they did not expect. Jesus tells them that. And he says, the kingdom is in your midst. Like, it's here. It's among you. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus says this, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, the messenger, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, this hope of the kingdom, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, believe the gospel. So Jesus comes in preaching the good news of the kingdom and announcing the kingdom of God is here. Read the book of Mark. Every other page, it's Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus announces the kingdom has come. Listen, guys. Jesus wasn't crucified and killed because he was a good moral teacher. You realize that? Like, that's what, that's what our society wants to say. Like, oh, yeah, I like Jesus. He's a good moral teacher. No, he's not. He came and he claimed to be the king of a new kingdom. That's why he was killed. Because the Jewish leaders said, uh-uh, ain't our king. Our king's coming with a soldier, a sword, and a horse. Our king is mighty and strong. You're not our king. That's why Jesus was killed. But Jesus came and he says all the time, the kingdom of God is here. Or he'll say this, the kingdom of God is like an army. No, a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like good Jewish people. No, a good Samaritan. The kingdom of God is like people that faithfully follow God. No, a woman of the city who gets her life changed. Jesus announces the kingdom of here is here, and Jesus begins to teach them what this kingdom is like. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. 
In Matthew, it's Jesus saying, here's the kingdom. This is what it looks like. And Jesus' invitation to everyone he went around is this. Repent and believe. Repent of this kingdom, the kingdom of the world, of darkness, and believe the kingdom. See, here's what Jesus does when he shows up on the scene. Jesus announces the kingdom is in your midst. And he announces there's this new place where though we live in the age of sin and death and suffering and sickness, there's a place where God's rule and reign exist. That place is Jesus. He comes and announces the kingdom is at hand. Repent of this kingdom and come in to this kingdom. And everywhere he goes, he shows them what this looks like. That's why he spit on. But he speaks blessing. That's why he touches a leper and healing comes. That's why when they're getting ready to stone a woman who's committed adultery, he says to her, no, go and sin no more. See, Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom, and he invites people to live right here under the rule and reign of Jesus. I am the king of a new kingdom. Repent, repent of the old kingdom, and come live under my rule and reign like this kingdom. You want to live under it, you will find suffering and death and sickness and brokenness. Here you will find shalom, peace, prosperity. Come and live under my kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus. And Jesus comes to redefine what his kingdom was. We've called it the upside-down kingdom. See, Jesus thinks, it takes everything that they think they know about God's kingdom and he flips it upside down. Because what they believe about money, about status, about power, about ethnicity is wrong and he takes it and he flips it upside down all the time with them. That's why they killed him. Because he constantly exposed to them the flaw of their kingdom and what they thought the kingdom of God was. And he said, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is like this. And they hated it for him. They hated him for it. It's the upside down kingdom. And even looking at why Luke wrote the gospels like he did, his gospel like he did, why he ordered things, Darius read a story right before this, and I haven't hit it yet, but it's an interesting story. And again, we can read that, okay, cool story. Then we can read this, okay, great. Let's understand what's happening. So, so look back real quick, John, or Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, so Jesus is walking to Jerusalem where he will go to the cross. On the way, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now, why did they stand at a distance? Talk to me. Why? They were sinners. They had to. That was the law. You stay back. You're outcast. But they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Here's what you're thinking, Israelite. Why would anyone have mercy on a leper? It's their own fault. They're cursed by God. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is like having mercy on a leper. 
And when he said to them, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Keep that, circle that one. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Again, it's a story. It's like, okay, great story. But let's see what Luke is doing when he puts it here and then talks about this kingdom thing. Here's what happens. Luke takes their idea of the kingdom and says, nope, let's turn this upside down. Number one, lepers are not to be cast out and outcast. They're actually to be loved and touched and healed. And Jesus comes and he heals 10 lepers. All 10 of them go and they're free from leprosy. And only one of the 10 turns back and says anything about Jesus, like thanks Jesus, which reveals the nine of them, they could care less about Jesus, they just want to be healed. But here's the kingdom. Jesus knew that. He healed them anyway. Apparently the kingdom is a place where ungrateful people get healed. Anyone say amen there? And did you notice how Jesus makes sure and points out who was the only one that turned back and gave thanks? Who was he? A Samaritan. Who you hate. If there is something worse than a leper, it is a Samaritan. And Jesus just announces the Samaritan is a hero. See, it's the upside down kingdom. Jesus says, God's kingdom is different than yours. And nobody walked away from Jesus unchanged. Everywhere Jesus went, he shows them the kingdom. And he exposes the kingdom of the world. He says, look, the kingdom of the world, it's power. The kingdom of God, it's humility. Kingdom of the world, status, God's kingdom, servant. And Jesus is a mirror exposing the brokenness of his kingdom. The kingdom of the world, lust, God's kingdom, love. See, Jesus, wherever he goes, invites people to come underneath his rule and reign, he announces the kingdom of God is in your midst. Hear me. The kingdom is wherever someone comes under the rule and reign of Jesus and lives the way Jesus has called us to, the kingdom is in your midst. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he goes to the sinner. He invites them. Repent. Come, live into my kingdom. And he goes to the leper but he also goes to the Pharisee. And he invites the Pharisee to come and submit under his kingdom. See, Jesus' invitation is the kingdom of God is in your midst where you come and you live under my rule and reign. Come to my kingdom. And that's why the Pharisee asked the question, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. And that's why the Pharisee hates him and wants him killed. Now, what's it mean for us? So here's the part in the sermon when I'm supposed to say, do you want to be about your kingdom or do you want to be about God's kingdom? We all say, God's kingdom. Like, all right, amen. B.S. Can I just say something? I love my kingdom. 
I love it. I love God's kingdom, but I love my kingdom more. I love it when you do what I want you to do. I love it when my wife does does what I want her to do. I love my kingdom. I love it when I get honor and prestige and glory. I love my kingdom. I love my kingdom and I pray there's a day my kids do what I want them to do because that's my kingdom. I love my kingdom. So I'm not going to sit here and say, you better be about God's kingdom, not your own, because here's the reality. You love your kingdom too. Anyone else? You want respect, don't you? You want status. You want power. Yeah, you love your kingdom. And I love my kingdom. And sometimes your kingdom comes against my kingdom. You know what happens then? Conflict. (laughs) Bitterness. Envy. Strife. Fits. Anger. Jealousy. See, the reality I have a kingdom, a kingdom of the world in darkness, and I love my kingdom. But Jesus, by his grace and mercy upon no, no merit of myself, has invited me to a new kingdom. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm a resident of this kingdom. But I love my kingdom. We said a scripture in the worship time saying, like, we're not under the bondage of Sin and death and the kingdom, we have this new kingdom, but it's like, yeah, but I have both. I love my kingdom, you love your kingdom. See, here's what theologians call this. There's a paradox with faith. And we call it, we, like I'm this like mighty theologian. They called it, I just copied them. The already, but not yet. So here's the reality. We, you and I, are living in the already. Jesus has brought the kingdom. And he has accomplished for you salvation on the cross and defeated death with his resurrection. Jesus has accomplished, like you are already saved if you're in Christ today. You are already loved by God. You are a child of God. We say like, already, but not yet. Not yet. Like not yet has Jesus come back a second time. We'll hit that at the end. And killed sin and death forever. And so you and I have our kingdom. We like our kingdom. It's the already but not yet that I have been ushered, invited into a new kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus. Invited to live under whose rule and reign. And part of me wants to do that. But the not yet part is there's this body of sin. This kingdom of the world. That weighs on me heavy. See, already, but not yet. It's a paradox. So here's the reality. You and I, we still have the kingdom of, war, of, the dark, of darkness in us. We still have death. Hear me, Hill City. You are broken. You're broken. And not only are you broken, you are broken far more than you will ever know. You are broken far more than you will ever confess and admit. You are broken. You're the big old fat sinner. That's what you are. You're broken. And in our brokenness, our lives scream death. Like our bodies will, will die. Our bodies are wasting away. We're broken. We have sin. We have addictions. We have struggles. And in that is death. Anyone with me here? You're broken. And the result of that brokenness, of what you do, causes shame, and you have all these accusations against yourself. I'm, a, I'm gross. 
I'm addict, I'm pervert, I'm, I'm... You have all of these accusations, like you are incredibly broken. One of my favorite things that I love about my job is to sit across from broken people, sometimes look in the mirror, and as people name their brokenness and name their shame, the thing maybe they carried it with them for years and years and years, for my response to be, of course so. It's not, oh, why? You're broken. So, so we just, a bunch of college students here, we just did our college leader interviews. So we have a leadership team, about 35 new college students for next year, and a, a bunch of ones are already. When I sit across in college students and we do their leadership interviews, if we were waiting for college students to be free from any sexual immorality, free from anxiety or lust, free, you know how many college leaders we'd have? About as many adult leaders we'd have. You know why? There's brokenness. And here's the cool thing. As they share their struggles and what they're working through, here's what I told them. Of course you do. You know what Paul called himself? A chief of sinners. Paul, who wrote your New Testament, most of it. I am the worst of all sinners. And you're here and you're broken and you have lust. Of course you do. You have addictions. You have eating disorders. You have pornography struggles. Of course you do. You're broken. And I don't think with any of those, Jesus is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. You know why? Jesus knows you're broken. He knows it. Of course you do. Some of you, not because of your own sin, but just like your body is broken. It's like some of you are going to hear the words, you have cancer. You know where that cancer comes from? The brokenness of a world system. Some of you ladies, on Mother's Day, like it's a celebration, but some of you it's also a time of weeping because you've went through a miscarriage. And you feel the brokenness. You feel the death. You feel the sting. Some of you in your stories, as I hear your stories, have been through unbelievable moments of abuse. And you feel the death. Some of you have had an eating disorder that has almost wrecked your life and killed you. Yeah, of course you do. You know why? Death. But can I name something? That ain't the end of the story. Because while you have death, you know what you also have? Life. Resurrection. Hear me. You are incredibly broken, but you're incredibly beautiful. You're incredibly resilient. You're incredibly strong. You're incredibly glorious. It's the already, but not yet. See, Jesus says you're a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Where you used to be named death, now your name is life, son, daughter, heir. That's why in the New Testament, any of the writers reading the New, writing the New Testament, they start a book of the Bible and they say to the saints here, to loved ones of God, to the holy ones, and then they go on to tell them how broken they are. Right? Read 1 Corinthians. Paul rips them. 
after he tells them they're loved by God and they're holy. You know why? The already but not yet. Jesus has already brought the new kingdom. He has named you a child of his. He has named you a son. And he has said, I am pleased in you. He has named you a daughter and he says, I am pleased in you. But Jesus, how could you say that you know what I've done? Yeah, of course I do. But death does not have the final word. Because there's resurrection, there's life. See, here's what happens. In your brokenness, you proclaim the death of Christ. Every time you have the courage to admit, I am broken, and you name it, here's where. You know what you do? You proclaim the death of Christ. That's why he died, your brokenness, your sin. But then, where you are able to name beauty, you proclaim life. You proclaim resurrection. It's both. Here's the reality. Jesus knows what you did this week. He knows what you thought about last night. And he has named you beautiful. And deep down, you hate it. You hate it. Because you know you. And you can name darkness all day long. But Jesus has named you beautiful, glorious, saved, loved, child. Can you name it? Because, like, it's easy to name this. Well, it's not easy. But if we get into safe community, it can be easy to name the death. But if we can't ever name beauty, resurrection, then we don't preach the resurrection. We just preach the cross. We preach the cross and the resurrection. Yes, I am broken, but I am incredibly beautiful, you big old fat saint. You're not just a big old fat sinner. You're a big old fat saint. You're loved by God. Question, can you live in the ambiguity, the complexity of the already but not yet? Can you live in the death of Christ? But can you live in the resurrection of Christ also? So I'm at my city group two weeks ago at my house. And I've been wrestling with this, getting ready for this. And so I took it to my city group because that's what I do sometimes. I take them sermons before I do it. And we, and we, we kind of talk through this. And I invited them at the end. Like our city group's awesome. We can get in and we can name the hard stuff of death. We've done it. But I ask them, can you name beauty? Can you name life? Can you name resurrection? Crickets. Silence. So I did what I do when there's silence in our city group is I turned to my wife. I said, honey, what about you? And she said, no. I can't name And then we all, they all look at her and I said, okay, it's going to be difficult. I said, how many of you in our city group could name Beauty and Emily? And it's like, every, you guys know her? Can we do that all day long? Yeah. Now me, it's another story. We're going to work for a while to get there, but we'll get there. Yeah, all day long. And I was like, how many of you? And like, yes. But here's the reality. 
until Emily is able to name it for herself, it doesn't matter what we think. And I said, Emily, can you name beauty? She said, well, sometimes, I mean, I guess I'm caring for other people. And I said, no, not what you do, who you are. And there was resistance. And she said, I can name it, but I don't believe it. As long as that's the case, and I'm not like preaching her. We've talked through this many times. I didn't take her off guard there. We'd, we'd have these, you're like, you're a jerk. No, we talked about this a lot. Until she can name that for herself, evil has a hold on her. And she believes that she's here. It was funny, after that was over, one of our group members later that night sent me a text of a, of a YouTube clip. Uh, remember the movie Anger Management? Anyone remember that? Uh, with Jack Nicholas and... Uh, Adam Sandler, right? And it's this movie set up where Adam Sandler has to come into this anger management course because he keeps losing his temper. And Jack Nicholas, which is a perfect role, plays the therapist. And he, you know, he sits, in his, sits in his chair with his, with his legs crossed, which is totally not him in any other movie, but just like, can you tell us who you are? And Adam Sandler's over there and he's like, well, I'm, I'm a nice guy and I'm this. And Jack, no, not what you do, but who you are. Remember, Adams, he's, he's in there because he gets angry, and you can see his foot starting. He's like, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Can you, why don't you tell me who I am? And Jack Nicholas, I'm not going to tell you who you are. You need to tell yourself who you are. And then everyone starts laughing, and he's about to explode. And, and they, they sent this video in, in the caption that the person in the group said, this is Emily when Daniel tries to get her to name something beautiful. <laughs> See, here's the reality. Jesus is your authority, and he has named you beautiful. Can you do it? You know what you hate about yourself. But where you fail to name life and beauty, resurrection, all you do is proclaim death. Jesus has named you beautiful. So that is why I can sit across, like I did this week, from a woman who's having a miscarriage. And we can weep together death. And we did. We weep. That we live in a world where miscarriages happen. She was able to name with the frustration and anger she has, even at God. And just be honest about that. We can do that. But then we come back and we name that there's resurrection. And though you are down, you will rise and your body will will bring forth another child, and there is hope in the midst of it. Hill City, can you carry both? Because that's the new kingdom. Can you proclaim death? Yes, I'm broken. Yes, I'm addicted. Yes, I struggle in my sexuality. But can you also name life? And that doesn't define me. So I meet with a couple this week that can get married. And they're struggling with what most engaged couples struggle with. In my office, I'm not like, oh my gosh, how could you? No. Yeah, of course you do. Death. But Jesus is inviting you to a new way. Can you name the beauty? Hey, we have desire. We have arousal. Those are good gifts of God. It's not all death. Now can you trust him? See, that's what happened. You can name both sides then you hear the invitation of Jesus to come to his kingdom under his rule and reign.
Can we name death? Can we name life? And so Jesus invites us to his kingdom and he points us now to a new kingdom, a kingdom where once again Jesus comes back for a second time because this ain't the end of the story either. See, the end of the story is the kingdom of the world being done away with forever, gone. And God's kingdom restored here on earth. Like, hear me, heaven is not you up in the clouds with angel wings. Heaven is Jesus coming back to earth, reclaiming his creation, shalom and peace and goodness here. That's heaven. It's goodness. Revelation 1, we'll close with this. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a, what is it? Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming back with clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. See, the story ain't over yet. One day Jesus will come. He'll restore his kingdom forever. Sin and death and darkness gone forever. And we will proclaim the Lord reigns. And until then, we proclaim the death and the resurrection. As we receive communion this morning, don't put away your stuff yet. Like this is the key. This is like the pinnacle. We're going to here. As you receive communion today, you proclaim the death of Christ but you also proclaim the resurrection of Christ. That's why when we receive communion, we don't come up here just like sad. We come up rejoicing. So even, let's take wine, for example. And I know we use grape juice here, but let's pretend it's wine. Wine has a bitterness, doesn't it? A sting, a burn, the alcohol. It has a, you know what? Like wine has a sense of death in it. The burn and brokenness of sin. Yet wine has a joy and a goodness and a celebration to it. It's a paradox. And even communion, as you take it this morning, will teach you the already but not yet. We come remembering our sin, weeping over our sin, confessing our sin, yet we come rejoicing in resurrection. We come with both. Can you exist with a faith that carries both? Quit trying to slap a Bible verse on your pain and wish it all go away. You carry the death of Christ. But quit living in your shame because you carry resurrection. Let's pray.